Like book club meets letterbox meets greatest hits meets happy hour, but all about TV. Every week, three friends make and debate the case if a show is truly essential viewing. Listen for the hot takes and stay for the camaraderie. I'm Ezra. I'm Mallory. I'm Gina. And this is The Essentials. This week, we're talking about Elementary, the seven-season series ran on CBS from 2012 to 2020 and is now streaming on Hulu in the U.S. As always, a general warning about spoilers. We will be discussing everything. Does that really ruin a TV show? We don't think so. Now let's get into it. Elementary is a contemporary adaptation of Sherlock Holmes transplanting the sleuth to New York City where he simultaneously solves crimes as a consulting detective with the NYPD and battles his drug addiction post rehab. Um, Pretty famously in this iteration, Dr. Watson is Dr. Joan Watson and she arrives as Holmes' sober companion and is portrayed by the ineffable Lucy Liu. Johnny Lee Miller plays the good detective. So as you can probably tell from my great enthusiasm, I love this show and I was the one who pitched it for this week's Essentials. Ezra, Mallory, you two were both new to the show. What did you guys think? I mean, maybe Ezra will have a kinder take than than I do, but it's just okay. It's (laughs) it's a good show. I'm not going to lie. I wrote down because I did take vestigious notes while watching. Uh, so I'm not convinced that it's essential viewing, but it was very entertaining. Uh, I don't, I've never watched Sherlock, the Benedict Cumberbatch production. My only introduction to the world of Sherlock Holmes is the Robert Downey Jr. film and Wishbone. God love Wishbone. <laughs> Wishbone. So I really just felt like Elementary was a rehashing of Castle. I'm a huge Castle fan, a huge Nathan Fillion fan, and it just felt like a similar formula. A crazy, zany, creative type melds with really straight-laced detective slash surgeon slash medical worker. Put them together on the NYPD as consultants, and you have the formula for Castle, and you have the formula for Elementary. We'll talk about this later. (laughs) I have never seen Castle, so the only procedural I can compare Elementary to is Law & Order SVU, and they're obviously two very different shows. And because of that, um, I think uh, Elementary is a wonderful Sherlock Holmes adaptation. I know when CBS announced it would air a modern adaptation of Sherlock Holmes, people weren't too thrilled about it because there was already a modern adaptation on, you guessed it, BBC One. Yep. Starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Uh, Surely Robert Doherty's adaptation would be a disappointment, right? Wrong. I think it's better. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I can't speak to the BBC production because I've never seen it, but yeah, I'll take both of your words for it. My biggest problem with the Benedict Cumberbatch adaptation is that each season can be edited down to a movie and none of them are. Mm -hmm. So I do like the way that this is formatted better. I think each episode stands out on its own, which is one of the reasons why I liked it if I'm comparing it to the Benedict Cumberbatch adaptation. Okay. Yeah. 
So, so one sort of significant fun fact about Elementary versus Sherlock is that Elementary is a whopping 154 episodes. Um, it its first run was on CBS, and it's as as like a network drama. It was sort of a workhorse in terms of their schedule, and so um, I think for seasons one through four, they solidly had like a full 22 episodes each season, and so. Um, they were just sort of churning every churning 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 all those episodes out, whereas I believe um, Sherlock on BBC they've had three or four separate series of like three episodes each running in to about like an hour, and so I have similar um, thoughts about Sherlock mirroring um, Ezra's commentary about just sort of like being able to tell stories like within the unit of an episode and across like seasonal arcs. And I think what one of the great things about having so many episodes for Sherlock, you spend over a hundred hours with the duo. Like if you do decide to watch the, the whole show, like front to back, because there is that much time to fill the characters, um, are somewhat forced uh, by creative necessity to like grow and to evolve. And while you see hints of hints of evolution um, and exploration into sort of like the character of, of Sherlock in Sherlock, um, one of the uniquely specific things about Elementary is that um, they literally take the time to plumb all the different depths of Sherlock Holmes as as like a fully formed character and not just this iconic detective archetype and so um, there's definitely lots of like overlapping hints with the other adaptations of Sherlock Holmes um, you, you get a little bit of like the pugilism that Robert Downey Jr. brought um, you definitely get sort of like the the mind castle of sorts in terms of the the extensive deduction, but I do think in comparing it to say like a castle, this this is where I think like the, the title of our podcast and and like how we define essential is really like as as a different dimension to the way that we get to talk about TV shows in this context. Um, because, like, Castle, besides, like, being a short-term, um, you know, ratings winner and a very fun show, um, like, Castle is just sort of, like, another detective show in, in, in the canon of detective shows, and, like, everybody's sort of, like, gone on from Castle, and so the, uh, the good and bad thing about elementary being part of the Sherlock Holmes canon is that it's it's it like it will always never be like just a detective show. It will always be like an adaptation um, of Sherlock Holmes, and in my mind, like an essential adaptation of of Sherlock and the best TV adaptation of Sherlock. So, because like, do you watch Nathan Fillion now? Yeah, and. And <laughs> I just and, love Nathan and, Fillion. And the rookie is essentially like almost the same show. You've just swapped out some of the side characters. Yeah, the he, rookie is not the best Nathan Fillion show. I will say that 
I think that Castle is an essential part of the detective canon. And we can talk about it maybe on a on a Castle episode in future. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely an essential show for me in that it brought will they or won't they to extreme heights that mm. I had never seen before in a, a procedural. Everyone looks at uh, Moonlighting, the Bruce Willis show, as one of those like shows that was elemental in creating Will They or Won't They? And mm-hmm. I think Castle picked up that torch, pun intended, and like set it on fire in <laughs> ways that were just like really exhilarating in the first few seasons and mind-numbing in later seasons and outright in like not even necessary at the end <laughs> there, there's just so many things that I, I love about castle that makes it essential to me and i just felt like elementary felt like it so much i like even wrote down in m episode mm-hmm. 12 that just reminded me so much of the 3xk arc in castle having a recurring villain from the past resurface and create like a mind fuck in the main character and having that character having to like overcome that in some way it just felt like i was watching castle or even watching nip tuck in the the carver arc that was in season two of nip tuck tell me if i analyze the required episodes correctly there is no will they or won't they right there are friends throughout the whole series until the end biggest question because i haven't seen past season one at this point like well, are they going to stay friends? They do. And, oh, yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> but that's also something that I, I really very much sort of appreciate about the show. Um, the season one um, sort of um, duopoly, that, that was the, the season one finale, The Woman and Heroine, is sort of like the last time where... I feel like the will they or won't they gets played for reaction within the show um, with with the character of Moriarty sort of perceiving Watson to be in love with Sherlock. And then after that, in subsequent seasons, they both Sherlock and Watson go on to date different characters. Um, they... Uh, will tease each other about uh their romantic partners but and and they tell each other that they they do love each other but it is sort of in a in sort of like the deepest friendship kind of kind of manner um and and so it it just becomes very lovely like and so you don't wonder anymore or or like you're just not it like you don't need to care anymore of like will they or won't they (laughs) that's why i consider it an essential viewing it's a really nice break from that will they won't they seesaw which can be very exhausting it makes me anxious and a lot of the shows that i've been watching has that element in it and i'm really glad that it's not in this one i really admire that from the pilot episode, you can tell that these two characters just really respect each other and love each other as friends slash family. 
Yeah, I kind of like that too. That was I wrote that down a lot. One of my notes in the pilot is, "Will they or won't they?" LOL. Because yes, I <laughs> write in text speak as I write down notes, but yes. that was re- that's refreshing to hear. And I actually might want to consider watching more of this show, knowing that they will not get together. Because I was getting pretty annoyed in what episode was it? It was, I believe, it was the M episode when. Mm. Her father, his father says that you are free, you are released, you don't need to help her. And yet she still hangs around. Lives. And I was just so upset because that was just a very classic trope to me. And I just, I didn't want to see them get together. And I was really hoping that they weren't going to get together. So now I'm excited to watch more because they're not going to get together. (laughs) (laughs) I, I really appreciate that he considers her an equal I don't know if that's like anti-feminist of me to say, but I really admire that they're equals. Like he does train her, but he really respects her. He knows that he's got it good. He has a Joan Watson and he couldn't be luckier. Even in Possibility too. I loved that episode because can we talk about the next, I wrote in all caps, next level crimes. Because, (laughs) okay, so there is a plot to get all the rich people in New York City to fund hospitals and take their money away and kill them by poisoning them by, by like messing with their RNA gene structure. Like, holy shit, how is that? That, That's next level. That's something that this show has over like any other detective procedural is that I love that. Gave Watson the like latitude to learn, and he's like, "If you're going to be my partner, you're going to have to figure this out and do the deduction on your own." And I just loved that. Oh, Mallory, you you got muted like right at the end, and then I'm not sure if it was like this for everybody, but in the middle of what you were saying, yeah. So I really loved how as you were saying, Ezra and Gina, that Sherlock treats Watson as an equal and he gives her the latitude to really figure out the case and figure out what's going on. And that's the first episode that I watched where it really really showed them as equals and I just thought that was really compelling. I have it written on a post-it note since you were going into the murders. I literally wrote in all caps, what are these elaborate murders? (laughs) (laughs) These criminal masterminds, and that's exactly what they are, even though they get caught, they have such patience because in the pilot episode, the murderer tells his wife to change her appearance so she looks like the MO of his patient who is known to be violent towards a certain look of a woman. So she has plastic surgery. She changes her appearance. He has meetings with this man. And uh, I want to know. So elaborate. It's such a long game because he's trying to like invoke his prenuptial agreement. And that's like years. He doesn't know if it's going to happen overnight. He doesn't know if this person's going to fly off the handle. It's like years to get all of that to happen. So that way he gets his payday. And yet like they're so smart in the way that they solve these crimes that like it all gets done in like 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Can can we, 
I really want to know how the suspect in the pilot episode convinced his wife to get plastic surgery, like, to change her appearance 100%. Yeah. Like, not even dyeing your hair, like, doing drastic things to your body to look exactly like the profile of this person who's going to go insane. And can we talk about, you? this is probably one of your favorite things about the show, but Natalie Dormer. Oh, yeah. She is one of my favorite actors. I've loved her since The Tudors. Uh, she will always be Anne Boleyn in my, in my book. And then I love her in Game of Thrones as Marjorie. Love her turn in um, The Hunger Games. Oh, she was so fierce looking. So good. She was also in Captain America, the first time. Yeah, I, I was just about to say that. Like, everything that she's in is amazing. And uh, as soon as she arrived as Irene, I just knew that she was up to something and it was going to be amazing. And so did you know that she was Moriarty before watching um, those final two episodes where, where that's revealed? Yes. Wikipedia <laughs> spoiled it for me. It's really, I mean, this is a testament to everyone's performance. Even knowing that, I was still blown away when she revealed herself as Moriarty. I was like, oh my. The British accent reveal. Like, I know. didn't spoil that for me, and that was flawless. And then she just, like, shoots the guy three times. I think it was yeah. three. And then, like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Not even once. Like, three times. She's such oh. a mercenary. She's so yeah. efficient. She gets it done. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but going from an American accent to a British accent is always just, like, chilling to me. Yeah. So she did that very well. Oh, she was so good. What did I write down? I wrote down Natalie Dormer, a little risque for CBS with the sexy talk of her and Sherlock in the bed together. Very risque for CBS. I am pretty sure this was a 10 o'clock show, so they had a little bit more leeway than some of the other ones. But yeah, yeah. I, I love their dynamic and just sort of like how how especially in this iteration where where they decided to um uh gender bend moriarty you see their um analogs um of each other much more clearly than than in other iterations in other iterations i feel like moriarty it is like often positioned as like oh like sherlock's like ultimate rival and whatnot but here with with the added dimension of this sort of like tragic love story and that like uh you know they can never be together because even though they clearly still love each other they have vastly different values like you know murder is acceptable or murder is not acceptable uh, that they you know they they choose not to uh, seek romantic love with each other and so I feel like this that was just so smart on top of um, deciding the way they they did to approach um, the relationship between Sherlock and Watson see like I'm just not up on my Sherlock Holmes lore so I didn't even know that Moriarty was a nemesis of Sherlock I kind of assumed but tell me more about Moriarty because I don't know who he is. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't know much more than that either. I have never read the Sherlock Holmes books. It's, it's just been a lot of Wikipedia references um, to, to refer to the world's most famous detective. 
Um, but I feel like his impact on pop culture is so um, immense that it, it's it, like a lot of roads lead back to Sherlock Holmes. Um, and so from, from what I remember from, from like different classes and different Google searches, I believe like Sherlock Holmes was like one of the first um, stories ad adapted into um, the, the film format. I, th I think one of the first films that, that came out commercially was, was just like a, a, a Sherlock short. And over the years, there have been many, many different adaptations, either inspired by or directly adapting Sherlock Holmes. And because of some really, really fascinating copyright things, we got uh, some great Sherlock adaptations um, in this last decade in particular. And so um, not only um, did uh, the BBC start adapting Sherlock um, in 2009 and, and we got the first of the two Robert Downey Jr. movies, um, but there's also been four other movies, five other television adaptations um, t adapting Sherlock in, in the last 10 years, uh, featuring eight different actors in the titular role and even one puppet. A puppet? <laughs> Yes, there is a puppet adaptation of Sherlock Holmes um, set in a boarding school setting um, and Sherlock solves various crimes around their boarding school and it is a terrifying adaptation. That, that one I feel like is the scariest because the, <laughs> the um, puppets are not Muppet puppets, they're, they're a little bit more like marionettes slash like Chucky style where, where you know. They're... No, I'm not nice. <laughs> And then we can't forget about Wishbone, like that's <laughs> how I learned about Sherlock Holmes and many other great literature uh, novels. <laughs> Wishbone came into my head recently because A24 tweeted a photo <laughs> of Wishbone and they <laughs> challenged the internet saying, if you guys can find the right dog, we'll totally pick this up. And I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, an A24 Wishbone. That would be amazing. Would be so moody. So the, the score, just like that tweet that went so out. much sense, so much sense, <laughs> muddy, muddy lo-fi sense. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, may, maybe we'd also get um, a deep dive into um, dog dog drug addictions. <laughs> yeah. So that's another thing that I wasn't too familiar on with Sherlock Holmes. Is he actually a drug addict in in the novels or? uses drugs recreationally oh yeah uh, mallory uh on my end the the internet froze a little bit so it kind of like sounded like you were on drugs just now asking <laughs> about drugs i am not <laughs> but, um i was asking does sherlock holmes use drugs in the novels is he a drug addict does he use stimulants recreationally as he says in the show many times Oh yes, oh yes, um, very infamously. And I don't remember if it's named specifically what substances he is abusing in the stories, but he is definitely abusing lots of different stories and in a lot of the adaptations, um, exactly which drug he's abusing has, um, has evolved. Uh, in elementary, I believe it's heroin that he's addicted to. Also, 
so somewhat famously house is very much inspired by not only some like real life doctors but also sherlock holmes yeah i was gonna say seems like it yeah sherlock holmes used morphine and cocaine which yeah. a morphine and cocaine connection to house yeah and yeah. and his uh vicodin in, in that adaptation. And he so. does inject some of these drugs. So, yes. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. I, mean, I haven't yet seen him fall off the wagon in the show. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that he does again at some point since he came very close to it when he was shot in the back using. Yes. Oxygen. Yeah. Um, so, that comes up uh, towards the end of season three and at the top of season four. Um, for for those who want to just sort of jump right over there. Um, But I think it's very meticulous the way that they plotted it out and the um, compassion with which they look into the way that addicts function and the way that um, addiction is sort of um, always there if if you... um, become addicted to to certain substances and so they take a lot of care into how that is a is a growing struggle for a lot of people i will say that i will i had never heard of johnny lee miller before seeing elementary and i was pleasantly surprised he is fantastic uh i wrote down that the dialogue was just on point the speed, it reminded me so much of Aaron Sorkin. I know he didn't write this, but <laughs> it was just, I love like fast talking, fast dialogue, punchy dialogue, lots of like witty jokes and one-liners and like all of that was there in the pilot. And I just, obviously comparing Johnny Lee to, to Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict obviously has that star power and that like glitz and sex appeal. But Johnny does too in a very bad boy way, and I was. Oh, you you'll be excited to know, and I think Ezra knows this. But Johnny Lee Miller, once upon a time, was more pretty famous as like the first Mister Angelina Jolie. Yes. Oh my gosh! Really? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I believe they're still friends to this day. Yeah. Wow. And. If you Google up like some of their photos from like the early '90s, they are sexy as hell. Oh, I mean, well, it's Angelina. Like anyone who's with Angelina, minus maybe Billy Bob, has <laughs> appeal. <laughs> Not as affronted. Billy Bob. Have you seen even Fargo? I love Fargo, but I don't think that Billy Bob is like a heartthrob in in my opinion. <laughs> That's right. He's not a heartthrob. He's sexy. They're two different things, Mallory. <laughs> Speaking of somebody who combines sexy and heartthrob, though, Lucy Liu. Yes! Oh, oh my god. <laughs> that was another pleasant surprise, because I only think of Lucy Liu as Ally McBeal, or her random cameos in literally every single TV show, like Sex and the City, and then also Charlie's Angels. So mm-hmm. to see her in this kind of dramatic role, like very serious role, I, I loved it. Also, how does she get around in those eight-inch heels? <laughs> uh, probably switching to Uggs in between takes. 
like she did there was like there's multiple scenes where she's wearing like seven inch stilettos and she does a full squat to look at the crime scene <laughs> and then stands back up again without holding on to anything and i was very impressed female detectives can do anything seriously <laughs> benson <laughs> especially new york female detectives yes, exactly. i was dying for her to like be an accent because i know she's from queens so i was really hoping that she would play it up but alas she did not i really like how i want to say muted she is because anytime i've seen her she's like played the you could see like her she's from the bronx right mm-hmm. uh you, queens uh, you could uh queens you could see that personality like in her sex in the city cameo she's really out there in charlie's angels so it was really just nice to see lucy lou as i personally always imagined her like she's just fantastic in the show i also really like the way that she she brings the sort of the way that sherlock and and watson are framed in the show and the way that uh, Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu like play their roles is very is like so complimentary. I think what what happens in a lot of Sherlock adaptations or a lot of different like detective adaptations is that there's very much like the star detective. So so like in in the BBC Sherlock like you you kind of just know that like Sherlock is Sherlock. He's gonna solve the crime and save the day. And then um, Martin, uh, what's Martin Short? No, Freeman. Martin Freeman. Freeman. Martin Freeman. Uh, Martin Freeman's Watson is just sort of there as like occasional like funny asides and to, like huff around in in house. Um, Doctor Wilson is just yeah. sort of like always bemoaning whatever house is doing in in Castle. Like I don't even know the name of of his partner in Castle because it was just Castle, the Nathan Fillion show. Uh, it's really interesting in Castle because Beckett is the smarter one all the time stania's uh character Mm. castle's the goofball castle's the one who yes he has like powers and air quotes of deduction but he just kind of like goes with his gut half the time and he's a fiction writer he's made it all up he's basing all of his knowledge off of sherlock holmes so it all goes back to sherlock (laughs) which is why elementary is more essential than castle (laughs) <laughs> oh wow! I, I stepped in that, didn't I? <laughs> I also think Elementary is more essential than the Benedict Cumberbatch adaptation because I think Gina said it best. The Martin Freeman character is just there. If you take him out, the show still works with just Benedict Cumberbatch. Here in Elementary, the two complement each other and they need each other, which I really like. They both bring something different to their team. And they know that. Um, They continue to explore that dynamic and to sort of push the boundaries of their relationship in a lot of different ways over the subsequent seasons, which I also really enjoyed. Um, And what I really liked about it was, was, was again, that like they never opened the door on the romantic part, but they did explore all the different ways in which um, platonic friendship and professional friendship, professional partnerships, um, the way that those relationships can sometimes overlap and then cause deep friction. And so it's not like they're, they're just happy-go-lucky, like 
skipping along and in solving crimes for the next five, six seasons, they really, they, they have very deep conflicts to come. Um, but you, ne you never lose sight of, uh, their, their shared friendship and their love for each other. And that was like another one of like my big questions is, does Watson ever come clean to Sherlock that she no longer is employed by his father? Does she ever move out of the house and stay in her own place? Would she, I would imagine she's still paying rent on her place. <laughs> <laughs> All of that actually are questions that, that the subsequent seasons answer. And, 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 and like dedicate a lot of thought to. Okay, good. That get, that also makes me excited <laughs> to keep watching. And then I I love a good procedural. I love the case of the day, but I was really happy that the show was kind of serialized with M. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping the more serialization happens, that there's more of like storylines. Is that something yeah. that happens in the show, or is it just case of the day every day for seven seasons? No, <laughs> I think they they also and and I think like as um. TV viewers, we are somewhat expecting that kind of overarching um, development on top of the the weekly case of the day for these kinds of stories and these kinds of shows. And so definitely you have more of that to look forward to. Um, you, there are more stories that draw from the original canon of Sherlock Holmes. There are... Um, there are more characters introduced from the canon of Sherlock Holmes. So you do get to meet Sherlock's brother in season two. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then later on, Sherlock Holmes's father also uh, comes into the picture and his relationship with his mother is explored. Um, and there are definitely more interesting big bads. Um, they're not the best like big bads. I, I feel like nobody really lives up to how uniquely well that uh, like Natalie Dormer is and how she yeah. um twisted the role of Moriarty but it, like they do good work in subsequent seasons so at the point that I'm at right now at the end of season one Moriarty is going to jail I would imagine since it's Sherlock and she's like an antagonist that she comes back I hope that she comes back Yes. Okay. Okay. That's good. Because <laughs> she she's one of the main reasons why I got sucked in. I was kind of, I was super into the pilot. The pilot was great. And then I watched the seventh episode. I forget what the name of it was as requested. And I kind of was getting a little fatigued by Case of the Day from like episodes eight to 12. And then I immediately was sucked in with M because that just felt so good. And then I kind of like skipped through the other ones in between, watched Possibility 2. And as soon as I got to The Woman, I watched like three of them in a night. Like I just was sucked in. The whole scene when she's painting, like you just know. When he goes into that mansion and you see the paintings all around and my heart was like pounding. <laughs> and then I was just so shocked because at that point I knew that she was Moriarty. And yet she had to like act like she wasn't and she was clawing at him and scratching at him. 
brilliant brilliant acting that's all i have to say like i need more natalie dormer in this show and i'm excited that she'll be coming back and i'm gonna watch it unfortunately or it's it's like less natalie dormer than you would like but yeah she she does come back for a few critical storylines and her her touch is also sort of throughout a lot of the future seasons and so even when she's her like physical presence is not there on the show um her character is woven into a lot of the things that are still happening and so you you know that like singular relationship Sherlock and Moriarty have together is is still like a big driver of a lot of what what he does so that is good for me because she that, that was just an amazing arc that entire arc of the last half of the first season was flawless Natalie Dormer is great, but several seasons of Lucy Liu is even better for me because <laughs> Lucy Liu, what more do you want? She's her. I love her so much. I don't think she gets enough credit, and I'm so glad that she shines in the show for several seasons. Oh, thank you. I am was very shocked to find out that this show had seven seasons, and I had never heard of it. <laughs> it's really interesting because it started airing in 2012 and now when I look back I'm like wow I was in college and I missed this probably because Tumblr was all about Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. Yeah, Tumblr <laughs> and like going back to Castle I find it really fascinating that both Elementary and Castle were on at the same exact time Mm-hmm. Castle started two seasons, uh, two years earlier than Elementary in 2010. They were on like dueling networks, Castle on ABC, Elementary on CBS, different days, Castle Mondays, Elementary Thursdays, but same time slot. So they were both going after the same like audience, give or take, like 45 to 55s. <laughs> and Castle had really strong ratings, but so did Elementary. I was kind of looking at the numbers. Like season one had roughly 11, 10 to 11 million for Castle, same amount for Elementary. Average rating for Castle season one was like 14, same for Elementary. So I just find the symmetries between these two shows so fascinating. And I'm just shocked that I never heard of this show before. My mom is like a huge procedural. And we loved Castle. We watched Castle together all the time. And she watches everything on CBS as well. So <laughs> she wasn't watching this show. But <laughs> it's just really fascinating to me that both these shows were on Dueling Networks, same time, same audiences, and they both were wildly successful. Yeah, I think um, I think probably one big reason on like what why all three of us probably like just didn't really get into it when it first came out was um that it was on cbs and i i feel like people don't really look to cbs necessarily for really groundbreaking content and i think to a lot of the initial press that was around um elementary compared it to to sherlock um and really hyped the will they won't they that we've all expressed that we were wary of um, as as a plot device, and so I and I also feel like the the show took some time to 
sort of like really grow into itself. But now that it's all done, <laughs> we can go through it at our leisure. Um, but whether you're watching a few episodes at a time or just like, um, for, for me, like I sat down and it was like maybe 10 straight days of just like my eyeballs glued to the TV show. <laughs> I, so. I figured out why I didn't even glance at the shows because Breaking Bad was in its last season. Oh my gosh. That's that, was my, that was my life. There were so many shows that came out at the same time. Also Mad Men was like yeah. at its peak during this time. Yeah, so I yeah, uh, there there was so much attention towards um the the fancy cable shows. I think that still is pretty accurate. Um yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm pretty old-fashioned in in a lot of different ways though. So like when when the networks announce their upfronts and like the new shows that they've ordered I will fill out like a little grid of how I how I need to block off my evenings in the fall. <laughs> I have an antenna for my TV, a digital antenna, not bunny ears, but I do have an antenna for my TV. And I'm, it was the best was 15 bucks I spent. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like you are a network TV stan. And I love that about you, that you still believe in the power of communal network television and communal watching. Or yeah. I, I religiously watch uh, HBO's trailers for the new shows that are coming up every every six months when they drop their new trailer. I'm I'm there <laughs> at my table having my sad desk lunch, watching the trailer and seeing what's happening at HBO. And I'm the loser who watches those trailers to see what awesome music they're using to soundtrack those trailers. And then I look at the comments going, what is this amazing song they're using? <laughs> oh man, we should do a separate episode all about promos and promo music because yes. I have bookmarked some of my favorite promos. I still cannot figure out what the most recent HBO trailer used. I still can't figure it out. And it's designed that way. I took a promo class at school with film, like editing, mm -hmm. film editing with music, it was called. And you literally are just trying to squeeze as many seconds of songs into these promos without getting copyright, essentially. Even though these big studios have the money to fight against the labels, they're still just trying to splice in as much as they can without getting sued. So it's settled. One of these I mean, some promo episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can we talk about the music for a second? I, I yeah. By the, like this composer for Elementary is my favorite TV composer, Sean Callery. He scored all of Twenty Four, and Twenty Four is amazing offshoots. And Twenty Four's soundtrack is in your face, bombastic, very loud, very aggressive, and it's beautiful. And this was just like a little icing on top of the cake. Very delicate. It was like a souffle. Very light, <laughs> airy. I loved that, the theme song. Sometimes you got the full animation of the marble rolling and like beautiful twinkling strings and whatnot. And sometimes it just went straight into the cold open with, with like the theme, very truncated. And I just found that delightful that Sean Callery has like the range to do 24 intense in your face macho and then very calm chill elementary and in between jessica jones i know he also did jessica oh jones. wow 
I met Sean Callery uh, at NYU when I was studying plug film scoring. And we were backstage together and I didn't realize who he was at the time. And he's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a composer. I was like, what have you done? He's like, oh, I've done a couple shows, 24. And I turned, big deal. I'm like, are you Sean Callery? I love 24. Your soundtrack is amazing. He's like, Mallory won an Emmy for that soundtrack and the one won for Jessica Jones. Yeah, everything that he touches turns to gold, essentially. I believe he did Homeland, too. Yep, he did. Wow. Basically, he, and that's like another thing that composers do, they form really great partnerships in the way that directors have their muses. So a lot of directors will work closely with different composers. So... Joel Cernow is the producer of 24 and Homeland and he's in a couple other shows and Sean Callery is his composer of record for everything that he does. That's really nice like when you just have that synergy of musical perspective and and how how it is incorporated into a show. Yeah. Oh I could talk about TV composers all day too, Mallory. <laughs> yeah, Ezra. I love Max Richter. Yeah. Oof. What has he done? My brilliant friend. Oh. Yeah. It's very good. It's very, very yeah. a mood. It's so Italian. <laughs> it's, it's a mood. But he's like a hardcore film composer for The Fountain, Record Dream, and love intense films so mm. i have to give another listen to my brilliant friend's soundtrack all right so now that we've more or less talked this show a little bit to its death um what what do you ladies feel about continuing to watch it and if it's essential i mean my take before was that i was not convinced i think y'all convinced me that i should give this another shot I definitely will be watching more of it. I just don't think it's essential viewing. It's a great show. It's an entertaining show. Love everyone in it. Love Lucy Liu in it. But I just don't think it's essential viewing. I loved it. I I mean, Lucy Liu and Johnny Lee Miller, who also played a Mr. Knightley a long time ago. Um, I think it's essential because I feel like every Sherlock adaptation is because it's in that canon and it's just really great to see how each adaptation dissects the characters and puts them on screen. So yeah, I think it's essential and I'm going to watch it all the way through. I'm so excited to talk more Sherlock with y'all in the future as you guys watch some more. Um, and I thank you for watching it with me this week. Oh, it's an honor. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Yay! Elementary forever. 